It's Sunday morning. Time for some jazz. I hope wherever you are, you're feeling happy and comfortable and content. I like to start off a Sunday morning with a nice hot coffee and some jazz tunes. I find it's a wonderful way to begin your day. Relaxing, which we could all use more of these days as it's such a stressful time to be living. But living we are. And that's something to be thankful for. Every day above ground is a good day, right? So let's get into the music. I'm going to start things off today with a recording from 2005 from the wonderful, versatile pianist Mr. Bill Charlap, who I have featured on this show in the past. This, of course, is from his album Bill Charlap plays George Gershwin, The American Soul. Now, this particular composition, A Foggy Day, was um, originally written by uh, the late George Gershwin in 1937 for the uh, Fred Astaire film, A Damsel in Distress. It was originally titled A Foggy Day in London Town, but they dropped the London Town later. So, the song has been recorded hundreds of times, but... Uh, this instrumental version from Mr. Charlap is by far my favorite. So, please enjoy this, Mr. Bill Charlap, A Foggy Day. Thank you. 
interpretation of the classic George Gershwin tune, A Foggy Day by Mr. Bill Sharlap. I really like that. I think it was written in the stars that Mr. Sharlap would become a jazz pianist and composer. After all, his uh, father, the late great uh, Broadway composer, Morris Isaac, a.k.a. Moose Sharlap, originally wrote the musical score for the Broadway play Peter Pan back in 1954. His mother, Sandy Stewart, is a, uh, a singer, vocalist, who uh, was a regular on the uh, Perry Como Craft Music Hall television series back in the uh, late 50s, early 60s. She had a hit back in 1962 with My Coloring Book. Of course, Bill went on to record two albums with his mother, um, Love is Here to Stay in 2011, and Something to Remember in 2013. Quite the uh, musical pedi- pedigree on Mr. Sharlap, as he's been recording since 1991, so a 30-plus year career. As a leader and co-leader of bands, he's also worked as a sideman for the last three decades as well, approaching his fourth decade, as he is uh, only a couple of years older than me. He was born in... Uh, 1966, so he's 54. He'll turn 55 in October of this year. He uh, produced an album. uh, It's called The Silver Lining, The Songs of Jerome Kern, with Tony Bennett, and that uh, was awarded the Best Traditional Pop Vocal Album at the 58th Annual Grammy Awards. That was in 2016. The magnificent Mr. Bill Sharlap, both a great player, great composer, and wonderful musician. He's married to uh, Renee Rosnes, who I have featured on this show in the past. She herself is an incredibly accomplished uh, musician, pianist, uh, and Canadian. Okay. Moving along, we're going to jump back in time to 1964 for the uh, hardbop classic, A Love Supreme, recorded at the uh, Van Gelder Studio in Englewood Cliffs, New Jersey. The magnificent, late, great John Coltrane featuring McCoy Tyner on piano. This is the seminal work from John Coltrane.
December of 1964 and released in January of 1965. John Coltrane's masterpiece, A Love Supreme. Now what you just heard was part one, acknowledgement. It is a four-part suite written in uh, the uh, through-composed style, which means that if you listen to the album, it, it, it it's a relatively continuous non-sectional, non-repetitive style. Now, of course, there were breaks because that's how records are composed, <laughs> put together, of course. That was recorded at the Van Gelder Studios in Inglewood Cliffs, New Jersey, and is often thought of as the uh, sort of the, the founding note behind acid jazz. It's been described as modal jazz, avant-garde jazz, free jazz, hard bop, and post-bop all on one record. Pretty incredible. The entire album was recorded in one session on a single day. Now, I was lucky enough to uh, see McCoy Tyner a few years back. He passed away last uh, spring. He had been quite ill. I don't know uh, what the actual cause of death was, but he was almost 90 years of age, so he did have a very long and fruitful life. Of course, this record, A Love Supreme, has been noted to be not only John Coltrane's absolute masterpiece, it is one of the greatest albums of all time in recorded music, period. That is across all genres and all styles. It's rare for a jazz album to receive such high praise, and yet it's deserving of it. There is one comment that I read by a... a um, critic from a few years back, and, and I completely agree with this statement. This is uh, Martin Gayford. He's a jazz critic, and he says this, and I have to quote it because I think it's important. If a listener is in the mood, the record is simply majestic and compelling. If you're not in the mood, it's interminable and pretentious. Now, I can't argue with that because I absolutely do love the record. 
but there have been times when I've put it on and I just, I had to stop. I had to put a stop to it because it, I just wasn't in the right frame of mind to sit back and enjoy it for what it is. It's a very complicated album and it's influenced basically everyone in the rock and roll milieu, believe it or not. Carlos Santana, U2, The Birds, just to name a couple who have cited that album and John Coltrane as being a heavy, heavy influence on their work. Okay. Let's move things along, shall we? Here's a composition um, originally written in 1953 by um, uh, Irving Duke Jordan. It has become a jazz standard, of course. And this is probably the seminal version of the song. At least in my mind, it certainly is. From their 1954 recording, this is Jordu by Clifford Brown and Max Roach. Thank you. 
Jordu from Clifford Brown and Max Roach. Clifford was a mere 24 years of age at the time of that recording. Sadly, he was killed in a uh, car accident um, shortly thereafter, actually. It was about a year later, I believe, in uh, 1955. No, sorry, 56. Uh, June of 56, he was killed in a car accident. Um, he, he was on his way to uh, a performance, and uh, they were caught in a rainstorm. And, well, uh, three individuals, um, Clifford Brown, Richie Powell, and Richie Powell's wife, Nancy. She was at the wheel at the time and lost control of the car in the rainstorm. And went off the road, all three died in the crash. Sad story. Uh, Clifford Brown was... Um, he stayed away from drugs, and he was not fond of alcohol. He was a, a teetotaler, as it were, for the most part. So he, he, he tended to be a profound influence on Sonny Rollins, who was recovering from heroin addiction at the time. He, uh, Clifford uh, was said to have influenced Rollins to the point where Rollins felt he showed me that it was possible to live a good life, a clean life, and still be a good jazz musician. Now, of course, Max Roach is one of the most influential drummers to have ever lived. Uh, absolutely uh, a player's player in jazz. Pioneer of bebop and worked with uh, some of the greats. Coleman Hawkins, Dizzy Gillespie, Charlie Parker, Miles Davis, Duke Ellington, Thelonious Monk, Sonny Rollins, just to name a few. An absolute master behind the kit. He passed away in uh, 2007 at the age of 83, after a very long career. So he started recording, I think, initially in, uh, what was it, uh, 1942, at the age of 18. Long career. Great musician. And thankfully, we still have the recordings to keep their memories alive. Eh? Okay. This next composition is from the uh, 1966 album, well, released in 66, recorded in 64, by uh, the great saxophonist, the late Joe Anderson. This is from the album Inner Urge, and this particular composition is titled Isotope. This one really swings. I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Isotope from the late, great Joe Anderson. Thank you. 
swinger if ever you've heard one isn't it oh yeah featuring the late mccoy tyner on piano and elvin jones on drums from the album inner urge as i said recorded at the uh, van gelder studios in inglewood cliffs new jersey recorded in november of 1964 but it wasn't released until um, late march early april of 1966 now i don't know why the delay but the music business is complicated Both McCoy and Elvin Jones at the time were members of the John Coltrane Quartet. Bass player on this particular record was Bob Cranshaw, who was a regular member of Sonny Rollins' band at the time of the recording, and a frequent session musician for Blue Note, Prestige, and Atlantic Records. The song that you just heard, the composition you just heard, Isotope, is a tribute to Thelonious Monk and Monk's... uh, Use of musical humor. Yeah, okay, sure. There's something whimsical about that, I guess. Now, that uh, record was highly rated. uh, Four and a half stars from All Music, four stars from The Penguin Guide to Jazz, 
uh, the Rolling Stone Jazz Record Guide also gave it four out of five stars. Long-standing, uh, brilliant record from the well recorded in the mid '60s and released towards released towards the end of the '60s. Odd how that sometimes works out. If you've not listened to the album in whole. Uh, I realize I'm, I'm playing you only compositions from different artists and different records, but I, I do urge that you, um, I do urge you to sit and have a listen to the album from start to finish if you can dedicate the time. Not today, of course, because you need to listen to this show. <laughs> I'm just trying to expose you to different styles and forms of jazz and some of the artists that uh, that I really, uh, truly truly appreciate and love their work. That being said, one of the uh, seminal influencers for anybody in jazz, anybody who's come before, well, come before, anybody who's come after, I should say, my goodness, Paul, tripping over my tongue once again, as I often do on a Sunday morning. The absolute um, maestro, the master the, the wizard, the, the man who changed it all with the album Kind of Blue. That, of course, is the late, great Miles Davis. And this is um, from the uh, Miles Davis sextet, Miles Davis All-Stars. This composition is titled Walkin'. Thank you. 
Yes, yes. The Magnificent. Miles Davis Sextet. Now that particular recording was originally uh, performed in 1954, recorded in 54, but it was released on the album Walkin', the Miles Davis All-Stars, which was uh, a compilation album of previous releases. Now, that being said, that particular composition written by uh, Richard Carpenter featured the magnificent playing of tenor saxophonist Lucky Thompson, who, as it turns out, really wasn't that lucky. So, Mr. Thompson, who was a brilliant player, and although he never did receive the accolades that John Coltrane did, he had adopted that style of playing prior to Coltrane. That's not taking anything away from either musician, mind you. He was uh, well established within bebop and hardbop styles of jazz with uh, Miles Davis, Dizzy Gillespie, Charlie Parker, basically all of his peers. But Lucky was... Well, it's, to begin with, his name was Eli. Lucky was his nickname, of course. It wasn't his actual name. He was strongly critical of the music business, and at one point he described promoters, music producers, and record companies as parasites or vultures. This uh, led him to move to Paris in 1957. He lived there till 62 and was on a number of recordings at the time. He also began playing soprano saxophone during that time period. He lived in Lausanne, Switzerland from 68 until 70 and recorded a number of albums there, including A Lucky Songbook in Europe. And then from 73 and 1974, he taught at Dartmouth College. Dartmouth? <laughs> Dartmouth College. And then completely left the music business. Now after that, his whereabouts were completely unclear. Uh, some people believe that he lived on Manitoulin Island here in uh, the province of Ontario. Manitoulin Island is the uh, it's the largest freshwater island in the world, and it's it's so large that it actually has over a hundred inland lakes itself. It's in uh, Lake Huron, of course, one of the great lakes here in in Ontario, Canada. It's also rumored that he may have uh, lived in Savannah, Georgia, for a number of years, but. No one truly knows. He uh, lived his last years in Seattle, Washington, and passed away from Alzheimer's in an assisted living facility in July of 2005. At one point in time, it was rumored that he was uh, homeless by the early 90s and was living as a hermit. So, the antithesis of Lucky. Now, I guess that's kind of a sad way to end the show. And I don't like to do that. So let's end it on a happy note, shall we? It's another gorgeous day on this planet. I'm alive and well and happy to be here. Happy to share this beautiful music with you. And I hope you'll join me every Sunday when I try and launch one of these shows for you. This is uh, part 32 uh, from the Songs and Stories Supplemental Jazz Edition. If you like the main Songs and Stories show... I'm up to volume 88. Volume 89 will be recorded probably in the next five or six days as I'm still working on it. There's a lot of information I have to gather for the show as they're marathon-like in the four-hour neighborhood. So until we meet again, my friends, 
wherever you are in this world, I hope that you're happy and healthy and relaxed from this wonderful milieu we call jazz. Take care. Talk to you soon. Bye.